Hello and welcome to the Rodcast. It is me, Rodman Steele, and I am with Emily again. Emily, introduce yourself. Hello, everybody. I'm Emily Beatty, and this week we are going into week two of our What Makes Music series. Last week we talked about what makes music music. And just to do a recap, we kind of discussed sort of the philosophical idea of music. Why do we recognize music as music? What are some of the totally indispensable traits of music that we recognize and that we can't have music without. Yes. And I think we landed on at the end of the day, I'm comfortable saying that it has to have some human element. Mm-hmm. I walked in saying that, that, that the two elements are rhythm and melody. And I'm not, I'm not totally convinced that we still couldn't like, you know, necessarily take John Cage's 423 or whatever and yeah and not in some far-fetched way say that there was rhythm and that there Mm -hmm. was because what what is rhythm it's Mm -hmm. instances of noise and then what is melody it's the pitch the measure Mm -hmm. of the noise so you could still say that but but most importantly it had to have a human listener or and most people say and or or came to my mind first and or a human producer, mm-hmm. a human yeah. creator. Yeah. Okay, and there we are. So yeah. t- tell me what's cool today. Well, uh, today we're talking about what makes good music. Okay. So last week we were just talking about sort of generally what is music, mm-hmm. what can be defined as music. Today we're going to get into why do we like the music we like. Okay, what let's I- do it. What makes good music. So I understand. So like... Why is Radiohead better than every other band? Exactly. Is that what we're answering Why, today? according to Rodman, is Radiohead better than every other band? And uh, for anyone, that it's not. Uh, it's not. It's not really according to me. It's just. It's just. Oh, it's just. You a know, fact. Th- 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 this is a very objective sort oh, of podcast okay. series. Yes. You know, yes. I, I mean, I, I want to respect the really awesome objectivity yes. that we're, we're sort we of approaching. We are very this interested in scientific yeah. inquiry yeah. So, and cool. rigorous research. Okay. Great. And so that's why today. I have a for, I have a few for, formulas that I put in the library of some yeah. studies that objectively prove that Radiohead oh, really? is the best wow. band of all I'd time. Be, I'd be so, interested to look so at those. Possibly we might pause in a second once we get to that part of this podcast mm-hmm. yes. and, and, and pull out pull out the formulas yes. and it has to do with serialism. Okay. I'm kidding. Well, we'll, <laughs> no. we'll we'll talk about Radiohead. Okay, anywho, we're losing listeners. Go. But come on. Anyways, come on. So, today, what makes good music? So, obviously, when you think about it, Everybody in the world has a different opinion of what good music is. Okay. Which is totally which means that at least part of what makes music good is the listener. Okay. Because if there was an any sort of really objective scale for what's good music, everyone would agree on everything. Yes. Right? Yes. So let's let's narrow down the question to who decides what music is good? Okay. Who gets to decide what is good music and what is bad music? Because we've all seen we've all seen some kind of book or CD or record that's like the best, the greatest of hits. the even even a single band, the best of Toto, yeah. the best of Radiohead, yeah. and then also more broadly, you'll see a lot of textbooks, like especially from the early 1900s, mm. will be like the great composers, mm. and it'll talk about their yeah. lives or something like that. You, you know what I miss? I miss those commercials that we'd see. When we were kids, and I don't know why they showed them on the Nickelodeons and the Disney Channel and stuff, but you saw these where it was like, buy this 12-disc box set Mm -hmm. of the best 
of the 70s mm-hmm. and it's all Barry Manilow music <laughs> yeah. and then it, yep. you know at like every mm-hmm. and it just lists the songs as they go and it's some guy singing some yes, 70s ballad yes I remember ballad. this it's like an Com- infomercial yeah yeah on, it's like an infomercial it's like yeah, an infomercial just call 1-800-753-1331 yep. for the your, your low box price at. of two payments of yeah. $20 or something. yeah exactly two, two payments of 29 or 19.99 yep yep I yeah I remember yeah. these very well and and this sort of like categorizing certain people or compositions as good it's been happening for forever totally. right like and it's funny to see how over time even these sort of like anthology style collections of good music they change right so like for instance mm. spoiler I just my little sister is a senior at Oklahoma State University okay. she's a vocalist. And she's giving her senior recital in a couple of weeks. I bought her a gift, which was, it is a antique collection of vocal arias, well, art songs, it's not arias. And it's it's really cool, it's from 1925 and it has like the embossed cover and everything like yeah. that. So I bought her this book. And it's really interesting as sort of a historical artifact because of the choice of what music the editors decided was the best of art songs. Gotcha. And in their forward Uh, introduction, they talk about like, oh, why this composer is super, super good. And it's really interesting because they include almost exclusively music from like 1820 to 1890. There's nothing before or after that, even though like nowadays, there's a lot of repertoire from like, especially Baroque composers like mm-hmm. Domenico Scarlatti, that a lot of especially beginning vocalists will sing all the time. And we think of that, you, you would say now, a lot of people would agree that that's some of the best vocal repertoire there is. But at ni- in 1925, that's not what those editors consider to be mm-hmm. the best soprano music, mm-hmm. right? And there's some composers in there that you probably haven't even heard of. I hadn't, yeah. I hadn't even heard of. Because at that time they were considered the best, but totally. now they're not. So, what what one thing that makes me think of is, you and I have the pleasure of, when I was a kid, my mom would play eight tracks sometimes, mm-hmm. right? Sesame Street eight tracks. So I knew what those were. I never had mm-hmm. to buy buy one. I bought CDs mm-hmm. in my first days at early middle school of understanding yeah. what music was. Then got an iPad and learned the iTunes store, mm-hmm. and now we have Spotify. Yeah, and there are a handful of bands I can think, uh, like the Beatles, for instance, and I think Journey too, surprisingly. But Aerosmith, stuff like this, Rolling Stones, where their biggest hit pre two thousand five, as in the song that was most popular, mm-hmm. yep. the song that was just widely known as their biggest hit, their most played mm-hmm. up until that point, a lot of them change into the mm-hmm. streaming area, into yep. the streaming era. For instance, I mean, think of Fleetwood Mac. You know what their most streamed song is? Uh, probably Dreams. It's Dreams. Yep. Yeah, and what did they used to be? Go Your Own Way, yeah. you know, or something like that. Mm-hmm. But since that meme, mm-hmm. Dreams, now yep. Dreams is now the most popular song. Yeah. Um, same thing with, with the Beatles. I think their number one hit used to be Hey Jude, mm-hmm. and now it's Here Comes the Sun. Mm-hmm. And I think, you think, how many movies has I been in that song in? How many lot. movies so many. has that song been in? So yeah. many. I, I think the, <laughs> first time, the first time I heard it was the Lindsay Lohan Parent Trap, I think. Mm-hmm. Oh, I know. forgot it was in that movie. I think it was. I think it was. I think that's it's been. It was in so many movies. Like, yeah. Like yeah. 15 to 25 years ago, mm-hmm. there was so much Beatles music in yes. movies. And then, yeah. and then I, I love how that book kind of gave you historical context, and that made me think of this other book I'm reading mm-hmm. that 
um, is written by Neil deGrasse Tyson and some other people. He's great. I he, love he's Neil deGrasse Tyson. It, it's, it's a book about astronomy and astrophysics. And, and the intro is about how they decided to organize this book. Mm-hmm. And, and they acknowledge, you know, like this, there's a lot of different ways that we could categorize, okay, what's the most important information to put in this book so that the reader can learn yeah. about matter? They divide it basically into matter, energy, and then astrophysics mm-hmm. or cosmology mm-hmm. and, you know, and go in that order. They decided to do it chronologically. Mm-hmm. As in, you know, they start with the matter, the matter the matter category, and they go back like to to the late 1800s mm-hmm. and find like actual news stories, actual journal entries, mm-hmm. and scientific journal entries where you, as a as a reader, you kind of get to chronologically see how oh we discovered the X-ray, mm-hmm. oh the X-ray showed to us that certain particles actually could pass through, you know lead barriers and stuff like that but for some reason so there must have been different kinds of ways yeah blah 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 and then you know you it yeah. slowly builds to where, to where we are now the progression of discovery yeah and knowledge. exactly yeah and, but but you see how someone thought back in the day in a way you know or just the the limit of what they knew yeah um so you know the coolest the coolest song in 1900 it us us thinking about the coolest song in 1900 may not be the coolest song in 1900 to many people in the 1900s. Well, exactly. You know? And and this is all getting back to who gets to decide what is actually good music? Mm-hmm. Because just because someone is the loudest voice in the room doesn't necessarily make them right. Right? So, like, for instance, you know, the... You said that pretty loudly, but I'll agree. <laughs> so, like, the whoever made this, this anthology that I'm giving yeah. to my sister as a gift, well they were probably some of the loudest voices in the room because they were the ones that got an anthology published. Totally. But, and and I'm sure that in 1925, a lot of people agreed with them. But does that mean that there's some, that there's some objective criteria about these songs that actually makes them better than all the things that didn't end up in that anthology, right? And I'm going to say your answer is no. My answer is no. Yeah. I'll, I'm tipping my, my hand a little no. bit. My answer, my answer is no. Is no. Yeah. I'm, I love seeing this kind of source because it's, it's clear that these people believe that they're being so objective about, like, what mm-hmm. is the greatest thing? And what they fail to acknowledge is that it's inherently subjective to yeah. ask what is the best music. Yeah. And for yeah. a long time, whoever was the most educated, whoever had the most money, was able to be that loudest voice in the room that could sort of superficially dictate who is the greatest composer, yeah. what is the greatest music. And so something that I think is, is great about streaming and also, you know, the rise of the middle class, like we talked about in our Beatles series, is that in the last 150 years, the ability to decide what is good music has come increasingly mm. into the hands of anyone who can buy it. Speaking with your bucks. Speaking with yeah. your bucks. And with streaming, speaking with the click of a mouse. Yeah. You know, because it, it, it makes an impact. I can You're listen right. to whatever I want yeah. now. And I think it's no coincidence that when it comes to commercial measures of success, like chart performance and album mm-hmm. sales and streaming numbers, it's no surprise that since streaming has become really big, the amount of genre specificity or the different kinds of like niche music that people listen to. The, the, that variety has greatly expanded. Uh, that, that, that's what I've, mm-hmm. I've picked up on. And I think that's yeah. so cool yeah. that, that there's, so, there's so many actual pockets mm-hmm. of successful yeah. musicians. Because now, since there's so much less 
intermediary steps, so many fewer intermediary mm. steps between listener and band, mm -hmm. right? There's no, there doesn't even need to be a record company anymore. Yeah. It can just be, I posted my clip onto SoundCloud and you can hear it. You can. It means yeah. that listeners have the freedom to decide exactly, very specifically, what kind of music that they want to listen to mm -hmm. and therefore sort of declare good. Totally. And I think that that's kind of cool. I think it's a fun thing to put cool. that power of choice yeah. in the hand of the listener. Yeah. So. Man, can, uh, mm -hmm. I know I've said a lot, but, but I, I had this idea yesterday. Um, I was thinking about how, it, it, you made me think of Pandora and Spotify mm -hmm. and yeah. how there's algorithms that that deter that they help can predict what you'll pre like. Yeah, pre predict yeah. predict what what we'll like. I had an idea of. I, I wonder if I should do this with like a fresh account. Like maybe I can make a fresh Amazon account mm -hmm. with nothing tied to it, not even a backup email tied to me or something yeah. like that. And then I hook it up to my Amazon Alexa's at home, and then I just spend an entire day, maybe with like recordings, like while I leave for mm -hmm. work of just a speaker that just says like the same six nouns or activities, you know, like bike riding, you, you know, bike riding, smoothies. Uh, and it just says, it and, just and, says and, and elephants. And then, and then log into my Amazon or, or even my, my Google, you know, and just be, be around the news and see how many ads pop up that were up, For those that related to those yeah. six things. J just to prove that it's listening to us all the time mm -hmm. because yeah. I, I really think it listens to us all the time. Yeah, it, it doesn't scare me. It, it scares my, scare me It scares either. my girlfriend and I'm like, but what do you have to hide? Yeah, you know? it's like, how important am I that anyone's gonna care about this yeah. anyways? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a funny, kind of interesting thing. Yeah. Machine learning has come a long way. It's and, amazing. And that yeah. has a lot to do with, especially, you know, like mentioning things like Pandora and Spotify. Mm -hmm. They're so good at recommending to us music that it thinks we'll like, yeah. you know? Yeah. And and I think that's, you know, that's a huge part of the appeal mm. of Spotify for a lot of people. But that kind of brings us back to my next point, which Absolutely. is, so we've, we've kind of gone over well, good music is going to be subjective okay. because every listener gets to decide what's good for them. And nowadays we have a lot of choice. People have a lot of options, a lot of easy access to any music they want to listen to. What makes us decide that music is good on an individual level? How can, you know, is it possible to predict what kind of music someone is going to like based on certain factors? And so, I was curious about that question. Okay. I got interested. So I looked up a couple of studies that people had done on cool. how do people decide what music they like? And uh, is okay. there some sort of correlation between music preference and other factors about yeah. a person and their experience? Dude. And so the first study that I want to bring up is a really interesting one. It was It's called uh, What Makes Us Like Music? Determinants of Music Preference. And it was done by two German uh, researchers called Thomas Schaefer and Peter Zeidelmeier. I think cool. that's how you say it. And you can you can go online and find this article in a research database if you have access to databases. It's a lot of statistics and it's kind of hard to wade through, so I'm just going to kind of summarize it for us. Yeah. So basically their question was, okay, between between character between characteristics of music how can we predict whether or not people will like something? And so they divided up into certain categories of what certain things would be a better predictor of whether someone would like a certain mm -hmm. kind of music. And these variables, are they variables 
very music trait variables or are they demographic variables? I'm gonna get into that. Okay. So basically, they they divided sort of conceptually this study into two things, which is that there are music internal characteristics that might make someone drawn to a piece, which are things about the music specifically. Tempo. Tempo, rhythm, what instruments are being used, timbre, whether yeah. it's in a certain key, that kind of thing. Or music external characteristics. So something else that's not specifically in the music that might draw someone to it. And among those music external characteristics, mm, pretty powerful. There are demographic data, mm. like things things like your age, your gender, your socioeconomic status, education level, that sort of thing. But then there are also a lot of other things that draw us to music. Mm. And this study, they were they kind of I guess theorize that music internal characteristics are going to have less of an effect on our preference than music external characteristics. Because <laughs> Wait, say that one more time. Music internal characteristics, so think actual characteristics of the music. Th they'll be more They're going to have less of an impact on whether we like music cool. than other things than external, external to the music. Cool. Which makes sense because if if That'll it be was my prediction. if it was the properties of the music that made us like it, then everyone would have the same music taste. Or, or it would be more homogenous, right? It would be very similar, yeah, right? Because if, yeah. there, if there was something inherently better it, it, about it, it, some it, certain kind of music, then it, everyone would yeah, like it. And it, our, yeah. it just clicks to our DNA. Exactly. Rather than, oh, I am a white man mm -hmm. from the South, which means that I obligatory <laughs> must enjoy Leonard Skinner, <laughs> right? Well, yeah. But, and, but I, I, I'm not joking exactly. in a and way. That's, yeah. And that's kind of, that was kind of their philosophy going into mm -hmm. the study. So for this study, they actually didn't measure at all any of the characteristics of the actual music. Oh, they okay. just measured other factors. Demographic external. data? Cool. Demographic data was actually only one part of the study. Okay, okay. So the things that they, they talked about were demographic data, which they boiled down to characteristics of the listener. Mm -hmm. And then other other things about the music, like cognitive functions, which is when we use the music to do something. And in this case, they talked about using music to communicate and music using music for self-reflection. So in both of those cases, when I'm talking about using music to communicate, I don't mean like sending someone a song and hoping they get a message because you sent it to them. I mean, using music to communicate something to yourself. Like you listen to the piece and they're saying something in a way that you can't say it. And so it's like very sort of cathartic to listen yeah. to them. Using which is why music, radio has the best band of all Which time. is why Rodman <laughs> loves Radiohead because Rodman uses music when he, when he listens to Radiohead. They also looked at emotional functions. Like if you're experiencing a really powerful emotion, yeah. you use that music to experience it more intentionally or maybe get yourself out of a bad mood, mm -hmm. something like that. They looked at a physiological response because mm. people have physiological responses yeah. to music. You know, you might cry, okay. you might get goosebumps, your heart rate might be elevated. You get agitated. You might get agitated, yeah. you might experience euphoria, that kind of thing. They looked at um, cultural and social functions, right? So this is like best exemplified by like the national anthem. The national anthem performs a cultural function for mm. us because we, when we hear it, we automatically think of America yeah. and you know, I, I've, liberty. I've never heard of someone giving their opinion on yeah. the artistry but or anything. Ex <laughs> well, except to talk about specific performances of it. Right? Yeah, yeah. Other yeah. than it has a huge tessitura. Yeah. Well, yeah. You know, it's, it's like a hard the hardest song to thing sing. ever to sing. Yeah. yeah, it's a big deal. Um, and then, and then, 
repetition and familiarity. Mm. That was also a big one. People like people are long if you feel yeah. How many times have you heard that? (laughs) And also more generally, how often have you grown up listening to a certain genre of music? Yeah, you're probably going to be more likely to like that music Mm. because you heard it Mm. all the time as a kid. Holy crap! Yeah, Uh, 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 the amount of Steely Dan songs (laughs) that I heard when I was a kid. And Steely Dan's great. And I hated it as a kid. You like, hated it? Oh, like, oh, no. Because it was all my dad listened to for about, I don't know, 40 years of his life. Mm-hmm. It was all he listened to. And anytime I was in the car with him, it was like 95% of the time Steely Dan. And I knew all the songs, mm-hmm. you know, because I, I knew I could tell you from the beginning of every of mm-hmm. the beginning yeah. song. You knew it. And then I grew up. And I, I studied music, and I got into music mm-hmm. and stuff, and then I was like, wait. Actually, he was oh, right. Oh, this is the best band of all yeah. time. And there's a, po- there's a poster right there. Yes. There's a Celia Dan poster yes. behind us. Yeah. But that's just something kind of funny that happened mm-hmm. to me. And, yeah. of course, you know, I grew up, um, I would say my favorite genre is classic rock. My, mm-hmm. my most listened to genre is rock and roll, specifically probably pre-20th century is mm-hmm. what I've listened to mostly. Yeah. And was that what my parents played? Yes. Mm-hmm. Was it what my grandparents played? Yes. Yeah. 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 Well, and some of my favorite bands are bands that are my dad's music mm-hmm. that he listened to a lot as a kid, too. And I think that's the case for most people. A lot of people's earliest exposure to music is whatever music their parents listen to. Yeah. And so it's no coincidence that a lot of people grow up liking the music their parents listen mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. because of that familiarity. So these two researchers, Thomas Schaefer and Peter Zadelmeyer, they did a study where they had people come in and listen to um, a bunch of different pieces from a bunch of different kinds of genres, and they had them rank, like, ans- answer certain questions about the music that had to do with these characteristics that I just talked about. R- cultural social functions, physiological response, emotional functions, cognitive functions, and then repetition. And they asked them questions about that. They also asked every member to bring in their own personal favorite piece of music so that they could add that as a data point for mm. like the thing that mm. you love the most. And then they had everyone do it. Mm. Now, this the study wasn't to, to make any claim about genres specifically. Yeah. It was just to talk about why people are drawn to certain genres. And basically, so what they found was that all five of those categories that we just talked about had way more of an impact on people's preference than any specific demographic data about the person, like age, gender, education, money, anything like that. None of those things, They some of them did still have an influence on what people would choose, yeah. but not nearly to the level of any of those five things that we just talked about. Oh, and re- review what are the five, the five most, things we talked about. most influential. The five most influential are going to be, and number one was using the music for communication or self-reflection with yourself that's the number uh, one thing can, can you clarify one more time you did mm-hmm. a good job of clarifying what yeah. communication wasn't what yeah. what do you mean by communication yeah. music so when i'm talking about communication as a cognitive function i'm not meaning you know i'm sending hey babe, i'm sending this is that song this is this is my song that I play when I think of you, baby. Yeah, not something know. like that. Or like sending someone a diss track and being like, I hate you, here's the um, song. Nothing like communication between people. Yeah, yeah. More communication between yourself and some imagined person or cool. the 
the creator of the piece. Yeah. Using the piece to express something that you can't express because you're not, you know, able to do it in some mm-hmm. way. You, so, so something like someone who enjoys worship music may say, yeah. I, I, so I, I don't enjoy contemporary music, contemporary worship music, but I sure enjoy traditional worship mm-hmm. music, and that is both a form of self-reflection, but if not more so, a, com- a, com- a communicative mm-hmm. Yeah, and and using that music is is a pretty great example of using music as communication. Yeah. Because if, you know, you're listening to the music, Mm -hmm. you're hearing the singer say something about God, Mm -hmm. and if you believe in that God, then that's really powerful because that person is saying something, maybe wording it in just the right way, that is super meaningful to you, and you you probably couldn't have come up yeah. with exactly yeah, that yeah, yeah, phrasing yeah, yeah, yeah. or something. You couldn't have done that, yeah. but listening to the piece lets you, you know, experience that mm-hmm. message and, you know, communicate with God if that's your religion. Mm-hmm. So that's that's a great example of using music gotcha. for communication. Got gotcha. you. Thank you for clarifying. Yeah, exactly. And that, that was the that number, was number one, one. That was the number, number one. one thing. If people said that they used music for communication or for self-reflection, that was almost guaranteed to be their favorite kind that, of music. That, that's cool because I like hearing that that is more powerful than someone's, let's say, um, uh, uh, a 16-year-old, mm-hmm. you know, who's growing up. What What is one of the biggest concerns of anyone in America at the age of 16? Fitting in, mm-hmm. finding friends, doing that kind of thing. It's, it's, I enjoy hearing that someone's own self-reflection, someone's own, you know, inherent taste without outside influence let's say or you know inherent to to whatever mm-hmm. is them and their experience is more powerful than their insecurity to not agree with someone else yeah you know i i, I have a great student right now who's 16 and i i know what kind of music you know he's used to listening to i know what kind of music his friends listen to and what's popular for his age to listen to and you know what he's really un unashamed Unashamefully, we got a better word than Una- that. Una- Non-shamefully, unabashedly. unabashedly. Yeah, uh, he loves metal. Mm-hmm. We're, yeah. we're going through the classics of metal. Mm-hmm. You know, he, yes. Last night, he's like, "Hey, I want to learn this metal song." Mm-hmm. You know, um, and that's just—it was something he found, mm-hmm. something that he found on Spotify. You know, and then he clicked, "Oh, make me a playlist about." You know, I love. It must have been a Metallica song, you know, because mm-hmm. Metallica is your is your uh, gateway drug, mm-hmm. you know. In for terms a lot of, of people, yeah. Yeah, so that is cool to hear that that mm-hmm. is number one. I'm sorry for taking so long. What's number two? Oh, uh, so that one was number one. Yeah. Um, and then the other four were, like, right behind it, basically. Okay. Um, the one that had actually the... So of those five, they were all very strongly correlated with preference. Number one was cognitive functions. And then number five, interestingly, it was, like... So it was one... And then two, three, four were all really close. Yeah. And then five was like slightly behind. Okay. And number five was actually cultural and social functions. Mm. So if, you know, which kind of makes sense yeah. because part part of us using a certain genre of music will be to identify ourselves with a certain cultural group. Mm-hmm. But the majority of our listening to music is going to be for something totally. probably more personal. I, right? I get that. And the thing that I love about this, like this study is that since it focuses on things that are so personal 
and and the and the finding was that these very very personal uses of music, experiences of music are going to be the strongest correlation to your music preference. It's kind of some evidence that people can't just be boiled down into data, right? Like because the characteristics of the music aren't necessarily what draws us to the music. And then things that we can't change about ourselves also don't necessarily draw us to the music, like our age or our gender. Yeah. You're not confined by your age to like a certain kind of music. Those you're not confined. The most powerful data points. Yeah, you're not mm. confined by, you know, something like your education level yeah. or other things like that. You're not confined by that in what makes you like music. And I think that that's kind of cool. Cool. I think that that's kind of cool. That that this is one of our, uh, our most interesting episodes. I really this has been really interesting. Yeah. There's a lot of places that that we could dive deeper into mm-hmm. too. But yeah, um, there's something uplifting about at least where we are in the age of data. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, we on top of the Amazon Alexa thing. I just made <laughs> that joke about that. That we we. It doesn't seem like we can quantify that number one, mm-hmm. you know. And I wonder if we could one day, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. figure out, you know, what 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 about someone's internal experience that you cannot visibly see in any which way, which is the as we're looking at this study is the most influential part of their decision making when it comes to their preference in music. Mm-hmm. If we could ever find data points on it, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. And, pr- and probably not. I don't know if it would be possible to design a study that you could actually measure that with. Yeah. But I think that this one came y- close. Y- y- you would have to ask, I think, totally different questions. Like, yeah. uh, I, you know I, you know what questions I would kind of be interested in? Mm-hmm. Honestly, I would be interested in asking people about, like, the level of trauma in their life. Mm-hmm. Um, things yeah. about the childhood. What order of child they were. Mm-hmm. You know, were you first born? Birth order. Yeah, yeah. birth order, that kind of thing. Um Rather than you know age and, and, and income level and stuff those like kind that, of stats. I, I yeah. wonder if, if those yeah. emotional, if you could get emotional objective mm-hmm. data points, yeah. you know, which is sort of a an oxymoron in a way. Yeah. But but you, you, you could turn emotion Find, in, finding, into objective data. Finding correlations between other parts of human experience. Yeah. That yeah. they didn't measure in this study. Yes. Yeah. And I'm sure I'm. How much time? Like how much time do you do? You t- Asking someone how much time do they typically spend outside mm-hmm. on a weekly yeah. basis? I wonder. Yeah. How, I wonder if that yeah. could correlate. And and I'm sure that there's actually been a study on that. Yeah. Because diving yeah. into this, I found that like scientists from a lot of different realms and researchers from a lot of realms outside just musicology mm-hmm. are really interested in why people like the music. They I like. bet. And it's been a field of study since like the '60s. People have been looking at it like. What is it that makes people like yeah. the music that they I'm like? sure it was seen as a psychological pursuit at first. Yeah, right? it was. Yeah. And then, it, so um, s- philosophy people study this, psychology people study this, mm-hmm. obviously, musicology people yeah. study this, um, neurology mm-hmm. people study this. It's it's a huge topic for a lot of people. So I want to I want to leave with a couple of just fun facts. Okay, let's go. So one one other fun thing about this study, they they asked everybody kind of a bunch of other questions that I didn't talk about here because we wouldn't we didn't time. have time. Yeah. But something that they asked, which was interesting, they they found a way to measure like how strongly people did prefer a genre if they liked it. Right, so like not necessarily whether they liked it, but intensity yeah. of the liking, I guess. Okay. And they found that 
how much you like a specific kind of music, like if it's given that you already like it, yeah. the intensity of it has no correlation whatsoever with your age or gender. Okay. So the cool. idea that like old people don't like the kind of music they like as much as young people like the kind of music they like, totally bogus. Got you. So no matter how old you are, no matter your gender, you can be just as much a fan as someone older, younger, opposite gender than you, which I think is kind of interesting. That's really interesting. I, 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 I can totally see, you know, someone who lived through the jazz age being like, yeah, I like jazz, mm -hmm. and then being like a 40%, and then someone who went to music school being like, yeah, I like jazz, and being like 40%, mm -hmm. yep. you know? Yep, and the idea that like certain, because some, some musical genres are like heavily gendered, you know? Like oh, yeah. Typically people don't, a, a lot of guys are embarrassed to admit that they like bubblegum pop music, sure. for instance. Yeah. Or a lot of people will say like women can't be metalheads or something yeah. like that. And this is like, actually no. <laughs> yeah. If yeah. there's no core, if if someone doesn't like a certain genre as much as you, it's not because of their age or their gender. Cool. It's because of something else. Okay. So I thought that was That's kind really of fun. Cool. Yeah. Fun little fun fact to end yeah. with. Then, you know, I, I'll, I'll be curious then there seems to be some core. Uh, I mean, what 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 do you think is the correlation? It, it, what maybe maybe we edit this out because this mm -hmm. is getting long. But I'm wondering, what do you think is the correlation between what? It just seems very topically, but very clearly that there are less girl metalheads than men metalheads. At least when you look at an audience or no, people who wear the no, t-shirts. That's, that's statistically backed up. If you like go out and poll people, you're gonna find fewer women self-identify as metalheads. Yeah. And I think that, the, well, since we know that it can't be because women don't have as strong music preferences as men, it has to be because of some other social factor. But, uh, but I mean, you don't think that just the abrasiveness of the no of the noise might be a big factor um or, so or, or do you think fr from what from what we've studied so far mm -hmm. there's no reason for us to believe that the same the same percentage of women would wouldn't, wouldn't be bothered or would enjoy yeah. thrash metal yeah as much as men. and and <laughs> so this is actually something that i researched pretty extensively yeah, when i wrote yeah, my master's yeah, thesis, thesis. Yeah, because yeah. i talked about metal music at my master's mm -hmm. thesis and basically what i found was that a lot of the social structures surrounding metal fandom deliberately exclude women. A lot of metal fans that are men kind of like gatekeep the genre and say like women can't like this. And part of that is also reinforced by a lot of medical, metal lyrics that are extremely mm, misogynistic. Yeah, 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 like yeah, there are yeah. a lot of metal bands that very explicitly talk about rape and murder and uh, other things Patriarchy. that are extremely yeah, misogynistic yeah. that just don't really happen as often in other genres. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that is associated with power and- Toxic masculinity, big, come on. Yeah, right, well, and yeah. A, big, a big part of metal um, sort of culture has to do with reinforcing power mm -hmm. and feeling powerful as a band, as a person, as a member of a community. Mm -hmm. And a lot of those, e even in situations where metal, you know, cause there's, there's so many, there's so many great examples of metal bands that use this conception of power to actually uplift women and try to encourage people to create a better society. So I'm, I'm not trying to say that, it, you know, paint in broad strokes and say that metal is sexist or something mm -hmm. like that. There are examples 
clearly. But there's also a lot of examples of this not being the case. Mm. Part of it is that since metal is so concerned with power and, and creating images of power and experiences of power, that just inherently excludes women in a society that is so, uh, it's not in favor of women being powerful. Mm. Because there's a lot of other systems at play in American culture that discourage <laughs> women from seeking power, oh, yeah, yeah. discourage women from expressing power. Mm. And so liking metal is just by broader society, even not among metal fans, seen as an inherently yeah. unfeminine thing. Oh yeah. So I think that th both of those yeah. things have more to do with women not being as represented in metal fandom than women having some inherent reason to dislike yeah. metal. I was hanging out with one of my sisters this last weekend and we were at dinner and she she is a super smart money kind of person, mm -hmm. worked for Deloitte right out of college, did yep. her whole kind of thing, and now she was interviewing for a new job. And she was talking about how cringy this series of interviews was mm -hmm. because she is the first person of 200 people on this team that got two X chromosomes. Mm -hmm. Like, it, yeah. she was interviewed by only guys. And then and then and one time, like, in one of her final interviews, she brought up, she brought up that, um, you know, she was in, you know, oh, yeah, I, you know, it doesn't seem like there's many women here. There's only guys. And the, mm -hmm. the guys interviewed him were like, I've never thought about this, but guess what? There's not a single woman in our yeah. office. Yeah, no, seriously. And then, and then they, they were trying so hard to act cool, mm -hmm. you know, and stuff. And they're like, oh, cool. You're from you're from Dallas. What street did you grow up on? Yeah. And she's like. That's really awkward and invasive. Yeah, Please that's a weird question. question. You know, you, you could yeah. ask me yeah. many other things. Yeah. Don't ask me what street I grew up on. <laughs> yeah. And I'm sure, I mean. Many women who end up in higher education or in, uh, you know yeah. high-powered business jobs. I think I think a hundred percent of women yeah. have experienced something like oh, this. Yeah. You know, yeah. so. oh, it, it made me think of something funny. Um, I mean, we're saying funny when we're talking about mis patriarchy. Yeah. <laughs> patriarchy ain't that funny, but it, it's 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 funny how we're getting away from it in a way. You know, there's just little funny things. Um, nothing is funnier than the, uh, the the cat filter on the lawyer. Oh my gosh, that was the best. That was one of the best things That's, that came out of the pandemic. That was hands down. Easy. Okay. That was funny. Well, next time, do you want to give us any hint as to what's next time, or so what? next time we're gonna get a little bit more practical. The last couple of episodes we've been talking about more philosophy, kind of broader things. Next week we're talking about what makes music vocabulary. And oh, we're going to talk great. about some vocab terms that Yay. will give us sort of a base to, to build oh, on wonderful. when we continue doing the podcast. Yeah. You, you listeners, those vocab terms I know are going to be so helpful because I think that the number one um, piece of really constructive feedback that we've gotten is in the past with our podcast series is that, and, and something that we have been trying aggressively not to do as much is use uh, elevated terms. And by elevated terms, I mean that, that you know, when I say diminished chord, mm -hmm. it's me and Emily, it's not elevated to us, right? It, yeah. what, uh, what, what we don't maybe, maybe a better word than elevated is music specific m jargon. Music, yeah, music That's specific, really yeah, yeah, music specific jargon. It's not elevated by any sense, mm -hmm. right? It's, it's just, it's the same thing as, you know, uh, many people, do you know what a cornerback is? 
You know what? Do you know what what position? I know that that's is? a football position. Yeah, but I don't know what a cornerback does. See, it, it, you know, yeah. right? And now, is it an elevated terminology? No, it's just it's, it's just football specific. It's just and football I don't specific. Know it. Yeah, there so we we're go. gonna get into some music specific yeah. jargon and and give you a little bit Great. of a glossary. I think that'll help the listener. So that, yeah, so in like the going forward, Great. you have less questions about okay. things. Okay, perfect, say. perfect, awesome, awesome. Okay, major minus three half steps equals minor. There's a good formula. Good formula that I try to instill in my kids. Well, we'll talk about it next week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Major minus three algebra minor. Major minus three equals minor. Oh, well, there we go. Hello. Thank you so much. Engage. <laughs>